Hello, and welcome to the Half-Blind Hecklers episode 101. Yeah, we have an interesting show today. Not going to be talking about, oh, let's build it to 100, because we're already there. We already passed 100 episodes, and we're looking for the next milestone. We're looking for the next thing we can achieve. My guess is that the next milestone I want to achieve is 10,000 TikTok views, which I think right now we're up to about 3,500, so we'll get there, probably by the end of the week. <laughs> but today we have a lot of different stories to cover from a New York psychiatrist who said that she wanted to shoot white people who got in her way to Biden and Trudeau, both strangely ignoring D-Day. And then we're also going to talk about some really, really crazy double standards that are happening here in Canada. Because here in Canada, we're still crazy enough to have coronavirus restrictions. Imagine that. It's really, really stupid. But, as always, jumping right in. So they're making me part of their problem. NYC psychiatrist who told Yale panel she fantasized about shooting white people claimed she was taken out of context, even though Ivy League, schooled, Ivy League School called it antithetical to our values. Dr. Aruna Kilinani says she does not regret the word choice of her lecture. She gave the controversial virtual talk to Yale University staff and students in April. In it, she said she fantasized about unloading a revolver into white people. She faced criticism from university staff and others over her comments. On Saturday, she said her words been taken out of context and that making the conversation about her was a way of controlling the narrative about race. So, this lady runs her own practice, and that she's been aiming to use provocation as a tool for real engagement. So, clearly she wanted to make people angry. She wanted to provoke people. And then, of course, she spoke of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person who got in her way. In an email, she said her words been taken out of context in a way to control the narrative. And her comments came after she faced massive backlash from Yale University stats, staff and others and public commentators. So she said too much of the recourse, or the discourse, on race is a dry, bland regurgitation of new vocabulary words with no work in the unconscious. If you want to hit the unconscious, you have to feel negative feelings. Me speaking metaphorically, but my own anger was a method for people to reflect on negative feelings, to normalize the negative feelings, because if you don't, it will turn into a violent action. She says that she did not regret her word choice. I, I, it strains credulity. It honestly strains credulity. How someone can claim, yes, I want to go into a crowd of white people and I want to shoot any white person that gets in my way and unload a bullet into them. You switch the races in any way of what she said, and that becomes instantaneously racist. If I had wanted to say, no, of course I'm not saying this because this would be insane and, frankly, in, immensely racist. If I was to go and say, I want to go and find a black person, and if any black person goes and gets in my way, then I'm going to unload a bullet into their head. That would be racist. That's just a matter-of-fact statement. But this woman, because she's not white, and because the group that she's going after is white... She knows that she's not going to face any serious repercussions. Like, this is tantamount to a threat against white people. 
because she knows that it, she will face zero consequences for it. And that's really reprehensible. Like, people in New York should never go to her practice. They should put... They should be protesting outside of her door. End anti-white racism. Because what she's advocating is evil. Pure and simple. Evil. Racism. <clears throat> and it's attitudes like this that come from the left predominantly that have been dividing the culture in how we talk about race. Because the right and the left want to talk about race in very different ways. I've mentioned this a few times on the program, but the left wants to talk about race in that race is the be-all, end-all of our being, and that everything that we accomplish and achieve can be summarized into a testament to our race. So it's either, if you're a minority or a black, it's this great accomplishment, see how you, much you achieve despite this oppression and historic issues that you've been facing and how much you've overcome. Whereas if you accomplish anything as a white person, or an Asian, then, oh, look how much your privilege has benefited you. It doesn't matter what civil situation you come out of, whether it's a rich or a poor family. It's your race that determines how the left looks at you. I'm sure members of, well, I know that members of the left have looked at me and said that I have white privilege, and that I am a racist, and that I am just excusing how far I've gotten in life, not due to hard work, but due to my race and how far my parents and what my parents have given me because I was white. I'm not denying that I am privileged. I grew up in a two-parent home. That's a form of privilege. I grew up in Canada. That's not so much of a privilege anymore, but it was when I grew up. These are privileges. I grew up in the middle class. I was able to attend university. My parents partially paying for it. These are privileges that I had in life, and I'm, I'm glad for them, and I thank God for them every day. But my race, I do not consider to be a part of my privilege. Because I am not privileged because of my race. Because not everybody in a member of that race is privileged due to their racial groupings. You can have really well-off really well-to-do black people and really, really poor and destitute white people. It's not a universal truth. Far from it, actually. And the right, and the right, the conservative movement, when they want to talk about race, they want to properly say, your race is the least important attribute of your being. It is something you cannot control, it is something you cannot change. And your culture and heritage should be accepted and you should be acknowledging of where you come from. But that your race should factor, should not factor at all into how far you've gotten into life, what you've accomplished, whether you get hired or whether you get removed from a job or considered for a position. None of that should matter because the your race, your racial attributes, are the least important of all attributes, whereas the left considers race to be the most important, that and gender. And because the left has these concepts that automatically you can see 
that they are meant to divide people based on the racial groups. That's why you have black skin into black groups and white skin into white groups. And then it's meant to cause angst and strife between the races. And it leads to events and crap like this. A California Amazon driver told woman to check white privilege before alleged assault. An Amazon delivery driver has been arrested in Castro Valley for allegedly assaulting a 67... Well, I wouldn't say allegedly. There's video. A 67-year-old woman over a package dispute. Deputies from the Almeida County Sheriff's Office took Itzel Ramirez into custody on Thursday after remembering a 911 call from the victim. The victim reportedly told police Ramirez punched her at least 10 times in the head. The incident was caught on surveillance camera. I'm going to show you the surveillance. I'm going to warn you, like... Kind of brutal how she attacks her. I'm only going to show you like 10 seconds of it. So you can see the, the customer says some complaints and the driver rushes at her and just punches her in the face. Over and over again. And why did she do this? Why did she punch her in the face? This is the, this is the rep, the record. So... After asking Ramirez where the package was, she reportedly told the victim she'd get her package soon. The victim then waited 15 minutes in the lobby before coming back outside. I believe the Amazon driver said something about your white privilege, and my tenant says you don't need to be a bee about it. Turned around and walked away, then was punched. And that's looks to be an honest recollection based on the video evidence that we see. Like... Regardless of what the victim said to the perpetrator of this crime, to the assaulter, it does not justify this person punching this older, near elderly woman in the head and neck ten times. It does not. Even if there was some sort of like racial comment, still doesn't deserve it. And the reason that this happened, as far as we can tell, the reason that this came about is because this Amazon driver was so convinced that white people were the enemy. Because that's what the media and that's what, well, the mainstream media and social media has been telling her, is that she is a minority, and therefore because she is a minority, white people have taken advantage of her since she was born and before she was born, and that she could take she should take any instance to try and tell pe white people that they are guilty for all of the world's problems. And if they don't acknowledge that they are guilty for all the world's problems, then we should take out our anger and our violence and do stuff like that psychiatrist recommended. Shoot white people in the head if they get in your way. This woman is just acting on that sort of instruction. Saying, oh, this white person is not acknowledging what I think is her guilt. Therefore, instead of having a rational conversation with her, the only thing I can do, because she's guilty, and because she doesn't acknowledge it, she's instantly a villain, and I am free to attack her as I see fit. That's the kind of situation, that's the kind of cruelty this has made. We should not be falling into this critical race theory, like, one race is superior than the other, which is going back 80, 90 years. It's the absolute reverse of what was going on in the 1920s, 1930s, all the way up until the civil rights movement in the 60s. I'm not sure what happened in Canada, but blacks were treated better for a majority of the time here in Canada. But still, 
violence is not the answer for perceived slights. Except the left has been instructing their, their followers, their blind compatriots, their blind comrades, and like those in BLM and Antifa, they fully believe it is their duty that if people do not acknowledge their guilt and their villainy in the world, that they deserve to be roughed up, to be beaten up, to be taken out behind the woodshed in the name of racial justice. That is evil. And we can't be accepting it. This woman should get a very, very harsh penalty. Because this could be, if any crime and lately could be chalked up to a hate crime, this could be chalked up to a hate crime. I don't like to give hate crimes. Because then you're ascribing intent further than I wanted to beat this person up, which is a pretty nasty intent to begin with. But this should be saying, do not do this. Just because the victim is white does not mean it is okay to assault them. Period. Moving on to some lighter stories, or lighter story, period. Conservative Matt Walsh, who I love, raises $100,000 to fix home of AOC's grandma shaming Tesla-driving lawmaker. So conservative commentator and writer Matt Walsh has raised over $100,000 for Representative AOC's grandmother in Puerto Rico after the Democrat blamed Trez former President Trump to damage her for damage to her home following Hurricane Maria in 2017. She tweeted out about her grandmother and her damaged home just a week ago, fell ill, yada yada. And I think there's a picture somewhere down here. Yeah. So picture, you can see that the ceiling is falling apart. There's buckets to collect rainwater. Things are in pretty bad straits in her abuela's home. And then Walsh, in response to her posting this, said, Shameful that you live in luxury while I'm your own grandmother to suffer in these squalid position, squ conditions. She says, you don't even have a concept for the role that first-gen, first-born daughters play in their families. My abuela is okay, but instead of only caring for mine and letting others suffer, I'm calling for attention to the systemic injustices that you seem totally fine with in having in a U.S. colony. Much of that statement was false. And so, Mulch replied, you used your grandmother's suffering to score political points. You're the one who publicized this, so I'm entitled... Now to ask why you haven't bothered to fix your grandmother's collapsing roof or buy her some new furniture. Why are you waiting for the government to do it? And so Walsh, who is a staunch and vocal critic of Democrats and their progressive policies, decided to take the issue to a new level, starting a GoFundMe account for the Congresswoman's grandmother. Entitled it, Save AOC's, uh, AOC's Abuela's Ancestral Home. One cannot be certain of the cost to repair grandmother's house, but surely is. most of the work could be completed for the price of AOC's shiny Tesla. Sadly, virtue signaling isn't going to fix Abuela's roof, so we are. And in less than 12 hours, it raised $104,000. So. There were many conservative people that donated. It was funny. And in the follow-up, uh, Matt Walsh actually got a f an email from GoFundMe saying the family had rejected the money that Matt Walsh had raised, probably because it made her look bad. And it says something significant about the role 
that conservatives and liberals or leftists take in the the approach that we take in terms of helping the poor. Now, of course, everybody on either side of the issue agrees that the poor in society should not be left out to starve. Nobody, nobody will say that, except for the most maybe the most staunch libertarians. But I'm not with them. <laughs> I'm totally in favor that we should be supporting the poor with what resources we have, both as a conservative and a Christian. But I do not think that the government should be responsible for handing out that money. The government should not increase taxes to everyone so that the most underprivileged, the most least, the least well-off in society can be just given a, a boatload of money. There was an article, not an article, but there was a quote from someone saying that if everybody got $25,000 today in a year, those who were doing well would still be doing well. Those who were not doing well would also still be not doing well. Because that has much more to do with life choices than it has to do with just handing out money. And I'm totally on board with that. If I was given $25,000... I would, of course, spend a little bit of it, but I would invest a lot, too. Make sure that my family would be set off, would be well set. In case we get to that point, and the end time doesn't come by then, but that's for another time. But yeah, that's, this is how conservatives look at these things. Conservatives say, I want to make sure these people are given the energy and the resources so they can help themselves up out of their situation and that they can move forward <clears throat> to accomplish great things. Whereas the left says these people are, are not doing well and therefore the only solution that would really make sense is to ta raise taxes and just hand them a boatload of cash and then hopefully with that boatload of cash they'll turn their lives around. But that's never worked. And that's exactly what AOC and Matt Walsh are advocating for. AOC is saying, oh, the federal government should just throw money at the Puerto Rican people. And if you throw money at, their, at them and just print money at the wazoo so they can spend, then the situation in Puerto Rico will solve itself. When really the problem in Puerto Rico was not due to President Trump. It was that supplies and resources and medicine were withheld by corrupt officials in both the government well, in the government and in the aid programs to Puerto Rico. It had nothing, the prevention of aid getting to Puerto Rico had nothing to do with Trump. He did quite a good job in Puerto Rico in terms of getting the aid there. It was all a local corruption problem. And so because of the government's ineptitude, mostly local, not federal, but because of the government's ineptitude, Conservatives had to step in. And so AOC wasn't willing to help out her family members because she wanted her family members to be taken care of by the government. So that she wouldn't have to personally do anything. Being a leftist is a lot about making others feel bad so that they feel like they have to pay your way. Whereas conservatives, conservatives they say, hey, look, there's someone doing poorly. Let's help them out. Let's give them a hand up. 
Let's give them some money in their time of need. Now, money is not going to solve the... It's going to solve some of the problem. Like fixing the roof, yeah, that'll take money. Abuela is not looking for a job because she's a grandmother. She's probably in her late 80s. So having a job is not going to help her. But that's what conservatives do. We provide short-term relief, and then we work towards long-term aid in terms of helping them out so that they can seek their long-term goals. And a lot of that has to do with people saying, yeah, i got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I have to accept responsibility for my actions so that I can move on in life. Because that's how you grow. That's how you develop. That's how you mature. Strong times, or hard times, create strong men. And right now we're living through some hard times. And we hope to high heaven this creates some strong men. Next story. Sorry about that. So Biden. Immense mention of D-Day on 77th anniversary of Normandy invasion. President Biden seems to have forgotten about the anniversary of D-Day, the Allied invasion of northwestern Europe that turned the tide in Nazi, against Nazi Germany in World War II. He did not reference the 77th anniversary of Operation Overlord. In either his personal Twitter or his official POTUS account, the president did highlight his remarks in Tulsa that marked the 100th anniversary of that city's 1921 race massacre. He also tweeted, We're getting America back on track. In the competition for the 21st century, the future will be built right here in America. He did not put out a statement referencing D-Day or a statement at all on Sunday, although it did note the 40th anniversary of the known beginning of the AIDS epidemic the previous day. Kamala Harris did pay tribute to D-Day, and so did Joe Biden, but the president did not. Even though there was a D-Day memorial, which he went to. He didn't say anything about it. President Biden did say something on the weekend about how coming out as transgender is basically the bravest thing you can do. Which is completely insane. But for some reason he neglected to talk about D-Day. To talk about American heroes. And it was the same thing for Trudeau. Trudeau's message on D-Day talks about sexual misconduct, the pandemic, and gender, but not D-Day. So on Sunday, the 77th anniversary of D-Day and the Canadian Armed Forces Day, a statement issued by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau failed to mention the historic reasoning behind the day, instead taking the opportunity to talk about the military's COVID-19 response and gender-based violence within the military. Today, we thank the brave members of the Canadian Armed Forces, past and present, for their tremendous service. Courage, service, and sacrifice. We owe them and their families a debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. Hinting the reason why the nation marks this day. Canadian Armed Forces members serve our country in many capacities at home and throughout the world, representing the most cherished values of peace, freedom, and democracy. Every day, our military personnel contribute to international peace and security and defend our country, including by responding to natural disasters. So, why is that so interesting? You'd be like, oh, well, like, it's two world leaders and they didn't talk about D-Day. Keep in mind that every single president and prime minister in Canadian and American history since D-Day has mentioned D-Day. 
has mentioned the Normandy invasion. So you have to really wonder why it was left out. Why they didn't talk about it. And I think a lot of that has to do with Biden and Trudeau are both part of the fairly radical left in both Canada and the United States. And instead of talking about the heroic exploits of the past, they want to talk about moving into a more progressive future. And they want to ignore the heroic exploits of the past, because if they were to call attention to it, then it would be to say that there was something positive about the past, about the nation. Whereas Trudeau and Biden want to both say that their nations have been, are systemically racist and have been since their inception. And so to glorify those that participated in D-Day would be praising those who perpetuated, quote-unquote, systemic and institutional racism in the United States and Canada. And they don't want to do that. They want to put on this image that Canada and the United States, as it is right now and as it was in the past, is evil. And that only by moving towards greater leftism, greater government control, more influ more pushing more favoritism on certain races, certain genders, certain ideologies over others. That's how we can move forward into a bright and glorious future. That's not how we move forward into a bright and glorious future. That's how we move forward into insanity. That's how you get critical race theory. That's how you get medical discrimination. That's how you get segregation, which is actually being advocated for many leftists. We should be honoring the sacrifice, the courage, the bravery of those that fought. We should be honoring the things that they did and the struggles which they overcame, not because of their race, because of their duty and their responsibility that they gave themselves to fight not only for their freedoms, but to fight for their children's freedoms and their grandchildren's freedoms and their great-grandchildren's freedoms. We honor the sacrifice of those men that went and paid the greatest sacrifice for our freedoms, for our nations. And it is an absolute shame. It is an absolute embarrassment to both the United States and Canada that both Trudeau and Biden refuse to mention refuse to give any credit any credence any credit to those that went and died on the greatest and largest invasion in human history they're not honoring their sacrifice they're ignoring their sacrifice cuz they don't want to support what those men fought and died for cuz what those men fought and died for is what, they're st what Biden and Trudeau are starting to represent. As I've stated many, many times, fascism is eerily similar to communism, and both Biden and Trudeau like communism. They want to censor speech. They want to make it so that only the government controls the media. They want to make sure that if you don't tow the party line, then you will be punished. These are all communist and fascist ideals. So no, they don't want to support the men, the men that died fighting on the beaches of Normandy. 
I forget the beach that was the Canadian beach. I I did know it at one point because the thing was Omaha for the Americans and it was something for the Canadians. If you know it, please let me know in the comments. I'll remember it later. But they don't want to remember these men. They want them to be forgotten in the edges of history because they want the threat of Nazism, the threat of, oh, this big corrupt dictator. They don't want to be associated. They don't want people to draw the connections. But what we are facing, especially here in Canada, is becoming eerily similar to what those men on D-Day fought against. Communism is nearly here, people, in Canada. You don't believe me. Here's the last and final story I'm going to talk about today. Judge dismisses charter application of Grace Life Pastor on trial for violating Alberta health orders. So we've talked about this several times on the show. Judges ruled that a religious freedoms of an Alberta pastor who is on trial for violating COVID-19 regulations were not violated. James Coates made a charter application in relation to a ticket he received on December 20th under the Public Health Act. Provincial Court Judge Robert Shijic? Shijic? I don't know if that's an I or... Looks like an I. Shijic? Dismissed the application on Monday. The question today is whether the purpose, manner, or effect of enforcement of that law on December 20th violated James Coates' religious freedoms. The answer is no. He ordered the trial reconvened at the end of June to decide on the constitutionality of Alberta public health orders that have limited attendance at places of worship. Coates, who is a pastor at Grace Life Church, spent a month in the Edmonton Remand Center after he violated the bail condition not to hold church services that officials said were ignoring measures of capacity limits, physical distancing, and masking. He was released on March 22nd. He challenged the one charge he still faces under the Public Health Act during his cross-examination in May. He argued provincial regulations meant to curb the spread of COVID-19 infringed on his and his congregants' constitutional right to freedom of religion and peaceful assembly. During his testimony, Coates called masking hilarious, and restrictions were part of an agenda to transform the nation. Shijek said that in his decision, the government was not targeting the church or its pastor, responding to many complaints from the public. He also said the decision to target Coates was made after numerous attempts by health authorities, authorities to get Grace Life to comply. They dismissed an assertion made by Coates' lawyers that the pastor was ticketed on the day he gave the sermon that was critical of the Alberta government in an attempt to censor him and imposing a chilling effect. So, Shijek said these claims are unsupported and wholly cons inconsistent with the facts. Canada is diverse and polycentric. Competing rights and interests must be respected, accommodated, and balanced. Individual rights and freedoms are not absolute. Terrifying. Just mind-numbingly terrifying. How a judge, who is supposed to know the law of the land, can say that his rights and freedoms, especially his freedom of assembly and his freedom of religion, were not violated by them taking him, arresting him, preventing him from holding services, chaining up his church, putting a fence around him, putting a police and security guard around him at all times, is not infringing on his freedom of religion. I have never in my entire life seen a more corrupt judge than this asshat. He should be removed from the branch and charged.
Like he says there at the end, rights and freedoms are not absolute. Yes, we know that rights and freedoms are not absolute. There are going to be certain expectations. There are going, going to be certain exceptions. Like you can't make a threat under freedom of speech. That's not freedom of speech. Freedom of movement. You can't punch someone in the face. That's not freedom of movement. They're not absolute. But in order to make sure that people's rights are, are not violated, if you make a law that violates the basic charter freedoms which we've been given and granted to by our government, and that have been encoded into law, then you have to pass the Oaks test. Guess what? The Alberta government has refused in every single instance to provide any regulation or rationale for why these public health orders are reason enough to violate charter freedoms. They will never do it. And the only reason, at the end of the article, they said that, the char that there will be a trial to talk about the constitutionality of Alberta's public health orders. Yeah, they're happening after they're already reopening for summer. And so the judge will take the case and be like, oh, this is no longer valid. And so therefore, it's no longer a matter of constitutionality. And so it's just going to be a null point. There's going to be a massive issue when it comes back in the fall, and we'll see what the courts do then. But at this point, I'm terrified to remain in Canada. Like, what is the point of remaining in Canada if this is how our government and this is how the court tre system treats us? If you are a Christian right now in Canada, all you can say is, look, I have no freedoms. I have no rights. We know that the government is playing a terrible, setting a terrible standard with how it is treating certain groups. Christians are sent to jail. Their churches are shut down. The, their fences are erect around and the doors are, the locks are changed. Whereas Muslims, the police just drive by and you can have a massive protest in a public square and the police will ignore it. As long, it has, as long as it has to do with Muslims. But Christians handing out food a block away? Oh yeah, they'll get a court summons so that they can face potential jail time. Anybody not saying that this is a double standard is blind. Blinded by their own preconceived narratives. Our system is inherently discriminatory towards whites and Christians. Because they don't want to be perceived as racist. Another example of this, going across the country over to the United, over to Ontario. Doug Ford says London can ease restrictions to allow gathering at vigil, vigil for London attack. Doug Ford said the government is working with the local health unit to temporarily ease COVID-19 restrictions to allow for people to gather at a vigil for the victims of the London attack Tuesday evening. He said he will also go himself to the London mosque, Muslim mosque to attend the vigil and has cancelled all government events in the wake of the incident. The horrible, horrific and deliberate attack on a Muslim fan, family in London has left our province in mourning. Four members were killed and another was seriously injured on Monday evening after police said a pickup truck driven by a 20-year-old London man mounted a curb and struck the family while they were out for an evening walk. Now, of course, that incident, this guy running down a family when they're out for the family walk in the evening, horrific probably racist, probably targeting them for their Muslim, for their Islamic faith. Awful. 
absolutely condemnable. Should be condemned in all its forms. Cannot be accepted. And as somebody who stands up for freedoms, I am totally fine with them having a vigil. If you want to have a vigil, support whatever you want. Doesn't matter. I don't care. Like, that's that's free society. Freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, whatever. Totally fine. Totally encouraging it. But in Toronto, just a few weeks ago, they were going and arresting. They were, like, swarming and arresting people that just had signs on the side of the road. And yet, because this incident happened, which is a horrific incident... But simply because it happened to a Muslim family, the Premier is saying that COVID-19 restrictions will be eased so that these people can gather because they're doing something that is beneficial to the Muslim community. The horrific double standard here in Canada is not just visible, it is palpable. If you treat Christians one way and treat Muslims another way, that is inherently discriminatory. What happened to equal justice under the law? Oh, wait, but that's not virtue signaling. That's not pandering to the social justice mob. Our country is disgusting. Canada, like, it brings the thought of Canada brings a sick thought to my throat. It brings some stuff up. I want to vomit when I think of my nation doing this kind of crap. Like, if everybody got the same rights and freedoms, nobody would have a right to be upset because everybody would be receiving the same rights and freedoms and therefore nobody is treated any differently under the law. But the blatant double standard, the blatant, basically, discrimination against Christians, the blatant persecution that we as Christians have been facing, and that many churches have been ignoring, is reprehensible in our society. And I implore, I beg those of you who are denying this is happening, please do your research. Look into this stuff. We can no longer ignore what's happening, because if we continue to ignore and say, oh, it's not a big deal, it will just pass in time, then... What are we going to do when they bring back restrictions in the fall? Which is almost inevitable at this point. CTV is already saying there will be a fourth wave. My church is already meeting at an outdoor location, which changes every week so that we can keep away from the popo. Because otherwise the government would shut us down, they would stop us from congregating, and they would arrest our pastor again. If this was a Muslim group, they would have never kicked us out of the building in the first place. I don't care how many public health complaints we have against us, because human rights are more important than other people's feelings. My rights do not end where your feelings begin. I hope that you can get that through your skull. Human rights are not just granted to us by government, they're granted to us by God. And so in order to respect and to honor God, we must ensure that every human being has equal human rights. And that's why we've 
kind of gone into situations in a lot of these third world and developing nations to make sure that they enforce those ideals. That human rights are something that every person on earth should have. It doesn't matter if your race, your sex, or your religion should have basic human rights. Freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Freedom to gather, freedom of association. These are basic, fundamental rights. And then, of course, the right to life, which here in Canada has, is basically non-existent if you're still inside the womb. Like, my first and primary cause, as it always has been, is abortion. And it is reprehensible that we allow this sort of evil and this sort of double standard and so few, both in the church and outside of it, will speak out against it. Our society is crumbling. Our Canadian civilization is being destroyed from the inside out. If this isn't sorted, then in three years, yeah, I'm going to move to the States. I'll find a different job. I don't care. I would rather be moderately struggling and be free than be doing well off, but suckling at the teat of a corrupt and tyrannical government. That's the end of today's episode. Uh, if you're watching on any of our video platforms, please like, share, and subscribe, and comment if you have any questions or concerns, or just any things which you want to talk to us about. If you're following us on Facebook, please like, share, and give us a review. If you're following us on TikTok, which is our newest platform. Uh, can somebody show me how to make better videos on TikTok? Because I'm still really new at that. And then, of course, if you're following us on any of our various podcast platforms, uh, try and check us out on a video platform. I just upgraded my computer, and as you can tell, I look very, very pretty because I'm in 1080p now. But if you can't watch us on any of our video platforms, please like, share, and subscribe. And download and share this content with your friends. So, without any further ado, here at the Half Blind Hecklers, we may be blind, but we can still see the truth. Have a great night, everybody. I will see you Thursday with the one who can see. God bless.